Well, friends, we're getting towards the end of our sermon series through the major prophets. Just one more week next week. Can I hear a collective sigh that we're sad? Oh, oh man, right? It's been so good to be in the prophets. Um, and we've been hearing a lot of messages about judgment, uh, but also about hope. Um, and that's kind of the rhythm of the prophets, right? The judgment for their sins, but also the hope of restoration. And because the people experienced such exiles we've been talking about the last few weeks, um, the exile that the people are in, in which Ezekiel is prophesying to them, they found themselves without any hope. I mean, what do you do when you've lost all hope? All your unmet expectations, all the things that have gone wrong, all the things that you wish turned out differently, your situation, your life, your future, it might look hopeless and you might feel dead. The theologian Jürgen Moltmann, he said, The person who hopes for nothing cannot be disappointed, but is he still a living person? He is more like a corpse. This is where God's people were at when Ezekiel was preaching to them. The people had lost everything, their, their homes, where they lived, the, the temple destroyed by fire. They had been deported 900 miles or so to, to Babylon. All of the things that brought them a national identity, their covenant with Yahweh, the temple, the sacrifices, the festival, the priesthood, the worship, all of it was, was gone. And then it says in verse 11 that they say, oh, our bones are dried up, our hope is gone, we are cut off. What are they cut off from? Well, from the land but also from God's presence, God's presence in the temple. It reminds us when Adam and Eve, when they experienced the curse of sin, they were too cut off from God's presence, from paradise in the garden. And the result was surely death. As a people, Israel, Israel believed that they were as good as dead. They're cut off from God's presence. and There's no more hope. The people had experienced the very real judgment of God. And so we've been looking at different visions of, of hope and restoration that God gave to the people in this seemingly hopeless circumstance. Visions of how God's people are supposed to be and how God will one day restore things to the way they ought to be. And today we're looking at one of the most well-known and most dramatic visions in maybe all of the Old Testament prophets, the Valley of the Dry Bones. Um, I would encourage you to follow along with me uh, in your Bibles or uh, on your smartphone, your Bible app. We're going to be in Ezekiel 37. I invite you to turn there. Um, now, this is a text that's perhaps more appropriate for Halloween than late August, um, but we're, we're going to go with it. Um, but as I've, I've sat with this text, it's quickly become uh, one of my favorites. It says, The Lord, the hand of the Lord was on me. He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and He set me in the, set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. Now, many of you are you're used to the story. You know the story from years of going to church, or perhaps you remember the, the spiritual dim bones, um, or maybe the Elevation Worship song, Rattle, uh, that I've been listening to throughout this week. Uh, but the reality is, this is not a cute image. Okay? This is an image of devastation. This is an image of death curse and hopelessness. Ezekiel says the valley is full of bones, a great many bones. Now, we learn later in this passage that uh, the Lord calls them slain. In other words, they died in a battle. They died in a violent battle. I mean, this is like more like the horrific images you see after a war, like a mass grave. 
This is an image that would repulse you, that an image you would rather not see. And Ezekiel doesn't just see it, the Lord has him walk in and among the bones. Something as a priest he would not be allowed to do. But the Lord leads him among the bones. He notices how many there are and how dry they are. And we have to ask, well, how did so many bones get here in this valley? Now, many scholars suggest that this is perhaps an image of a real valley that Israelites had seen after the exile, that these were people that were killed in a battle, that, that these bones are actually the work of Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, we know that this fate was one of the curses of breaking the covenant. We read this in Deuteronomy 28. It says, The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will command them from one direction, but flee from them in seven and you will become a thing of horror to all the kingdoms on earth. Your carcasses will be food for all the birds and the wild animals, and there will be no one to frighten them away. Now, again, our friend, the biblical scholar, Christopher Wright, he is, he is very helpful on this. And he said what was also very obvious, what would have been obvious to Ezekiel, was that they were unburied. And that, too, was a source of horror greater to Ezekiel than to us. Proper burial was of paramount importance in ancient Near Eastern cultures. Not just for the sake of the bereaved, as is still in modern cultures, but for the sake of the deceased also. To be deprived of burial was the final insult, the ultimate degradation. To be unburied meant the perpetuation of suffering into the afterlife. It was a destiny fit only for the truly cursed. Indeed, it was one aspect of the fate decreed for Israel under the covenant curses. These bones, then, are not just evidence of death, but of death under curse. These bones proclaim that their owners had been the victims not only of battle, but also of divine judgment. The prophets, as we heard, had warned and warned the people that be, because of their sins, they are breaking God's covenant and in danger of experiencing the curses or the judgment uh, of breaking the covenant. And Jeremiah, as we heard last month, he even specifically predicted and prophesied that something like this would happen. He said that they would, the people would be burying people in the valley of Ben-Hinnom in Israel until there was no more room. And then he says in Jeremiah 8, At that time, declares the Lord, the bones of the kings and of the officials of Judah, the bones of the priests and the prophets, and the bones of the people of Jerusalem will be removed from their graves. They will be exposed to the sun and the moon and all the stars of the heavens, which they have loved and served, and which they have followed and consulted and worshipped. They will not be gathered up or buried, but will be like dung lying on the ground. Wherever I banish them, all the survivors of this evil nation will prefer death to life, declares the Lord Almighty. Sorry, this is not a very hopeful part of the sermon. But the first part of this sounds a lot like the Valley of Dry Bones, right? And the survivors of this exile sounds a lot like the people in the time of Ezekiel. They prefer death to life. Their hope is gone. They're cut off from the presence of God. They are not among the dead bones, but they are the living dead. Without hope, without joy. And perhaps the people had a, a real valley and perhaps they even had Jeremiah's message in mind as they heard Ezekiel describing this vision. So Ezekiel sees this vast number of bones. They're unburied, they're under a curse, and he notices that these bones were very dry. There's no embalming back then, and at least not in our modern terms. And 
The sun had completely dried out the bones. They did not look like human beings at all. They, they aren't referred to as people or even as bodies or corpses. This is just a huge valley of dry bones. And the Lord asked Ezekiel, Son of man, can these bones live? It almost seems like a ridiculous question. Can these dry bones, can they be living people again? How would you answer that question? Now, Ezekiel, he didn't know about Jesus and the resurrection. He did know about Elijah and Elisha and how there were some, some resuscitations that people happened, but those were of people who had recently died, still with skin on. They were still bodies. These are dry bones. This is a lot different. And I love Ezekiel's response based on the knowledge that he had. He said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. I find it interesting that he... He doesn't say, well, of course. I mean, he knows from the Old Testament that God is sovereign over life and death. He's sovereign over those things. But he kind of throws the question back to God. Because sometimes the situation seems so insurmountable. God, can this situation be fixed? Can anything good or anything beautiful come out of this suffering that I'm in? Can anything be made out of this ugly mess? Can this be healed? God, can you do something about this? I mean, surely Ezekiel knew that nothing is impossible for God. Jesus thought that too, but we're often perplexed at the ways of God. And while I don't particularly like it, I, I'm learning to accept that, that I'm not God. That I'm just a son of man. I'm a mortal. I don't know what God is thinking. I don't know what God is planning. I don't know the beginning from the end. Uh, I don't know the future. I don't know what spiritual warfare may be going on in the unseen realms. I wonder sometimes, are, are my denied prayer requests, are these, are these some form of protection for a future I know nothing about? I, I sometimes wonder, are my prayers not answered because somehow God is honoring someone's free will decision that's impacting this? Sometimes I wonder how it all works and I, I, I really don't know. Can these bones live? Can, can this be redeemed? And perhaps I'm learning to say, you alone know. You are in charge. You are the sovereign Lord of the universe. Only you know. And then the Lord says to Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones. Prophesy and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. The change, this miraculous change that's about to happen starts with the prophet's ministry. God often chooses to work his miracles, his works of transformation, his life-saving power through people. It reminds me of Jesus telling his disciples when he fed the 5,000, you give them something to eat. You know, I think we often expect or we hope for, we, we pray for God's miracles, God's intervention, and we're expecting that to happen without any intermediary, right? We want it to happen directly, and God can do that. But I think we should be looking for miracles, we should be looking for healing to come not necessarily directly from God, but through God's people. Through a word from a preacher or from a friend. 
through the church, through the body of Christ, through a doctor, through strangers. God works in all kinds of mysterious ways. So look for God maybe working where you don't expect. And God wants to involve us in bringing this hope and this healing to others. And he basically says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, are you unsure that these bones can live again? Well, guess what? I'm going to use you in bringing them back to life. So the miracle begins with the prophet speaking God's word of hope and life to the dry bones. And notice the order. The word comes first, the transformation comes second. I mean, isn't that how we all come alive in Jesus? The Bible says faith comes by hearing. We hear the word of God and God brings them to life by the power of the Holy Spirit. So people hear the word, the miracle will happen. And the result, as is often repeated all through the prophet Ezekiel, is God says, then you will know that I am the Lord. That's what God is after. God doesn't want to just be some miracle worker that, da- that dazzles us. He doesn't want to be just some genie in the sky working wonders. He wants us to know him, to know he is the Lord. He's your Lord. He's your God, the covenant God. This is not just a vision of resurrection. This is a vision of revival. This is revival. This is not just living again, but a new relationship with God. A new understanding of God is going to result from this. And I think sometimes, if we're honest, we want resurrection without revival. We want God to fix it. But do you want to know Him? Do you want to know the Lord? Because that's what God is after. The Lord wants you to know Him. And God brings renewal so that we can be revived in Him. God brings resurrection so we can know Him. Do you want God more than what you want, uh, than what you want the, the things that He can do for you? The things He can do for us. God wants to not just resurrect these bones, but to revive their hearts with the knowledge of God. Now, I want you to consider the ridiculous task that Ezekiel is given. Go preach to those dry, dead bones. Go prophesy to them, son of man. I mean, this is maybe the most impossible ministry assignment given in the whole Bible. I mean, Jonah had to go preach to the wicked Ninevites, and he didn't want to go. But they, but they listened, and they repented, right? And then Isaiah, he knew that his congregation would be, what, uh, hearing but never understanding, ever seeing but never perceiving, perceiving. And God straight up told Jeremiah, the people are not going to listen to you. And then he had to go and he was sent. But at least those people had eyes and ears. <laughs> I mean, at least there was a hope that might, maybe a remnant would be saved out of this mass of people, right? There was always that hope. But Ezekiel was <laughs> told to preach to dead bones. What? Hear the word of the Lord. Sometimes God calls us to tasks that just seem so incredible, so impossible, but the prophets, the ones who obey the word of the Lord, even when it seems so ridiculous, so crazy, those are the ones who see God work in tremendous ways. So what does Ezekiel do? Verse 7, he says, I prophesied as I was commanded. He obeyed. And then he says, as I was prophesying, after the obedience, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. The dry bones turned back into bodies, all in detailed sequential stages. 
But there was a problem. Kind of a big one. Verse 8, there's no breath in them. There's no breath in them. Now, the Hebrew word ruach is used ten times in this passage. It can mean breath, wind, or spirit. Uh, It's about powerful air moving. Uh, And the word meanings mix all together. uh, Every time you see word, breath, or spirit in this passage, it's a different English word, but it's all the same Hebrew word. And essentially it's saying there's no no ruach in in these humans. There's no breath. There's no spirit. They're not alive. So then the Lord says to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. Ruach, wind, breath, spirit must enter the dead in order to bring them to life. And if you know your Bibles, this should remind you of the story of creation. Right? When God formed the human being in the ground, stage one and then stage two, the breath of life enters the human being and they become a living being. So this vision signifies not just the restoration of Israel, but also the remaking and reviving of humanity. And it also reminds us of what Jesus was saying when he said that we must be born again in water and spirit. And when he was raised to life, he he breathed on his disciples so that they they would receive the spirit. So the wind, the spirit must come into these corpses to be born again to life. So verse 10, I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. It's amazing. God doesn't just bring them back to life. He brings a standing army back. The valley of dry bones has become a valley of living soldiers. They're standing, they're ready, they're alive, they're strong, they're mighty. And what are they going to do? Well, we don't know. Because that's where the vision ends. Why does this vision give God's hopeless people hope? Let me talk about that. Three short things very quickly. Number one, this was about life for God's people then. Right after this vision, an interpretation of it is given. The whole image of bones coming alive is a picture of God restoring the people from exile. Verse 11, the Lord says to him, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. Now, the image has changed slightly, right? The, this is similar to the dry bones coming to life, but now it's the image of God's people coming out of the graves, coming out of a cemetery. And just like the bones needed breath, God's people need to receive the Spirit of God in a new and powerful way. That's why it says in verse 14, And we talked about this last week, all the promises of restoration. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will settle you in your own own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. You see, the situation, we need to appreciate that the situation was so bleak. It was so hopeless. They were so far away from Israel. So many of them had died. So many people had died in battle. They were all scattered. The the kingdom of the north was scattered to Assyria. The kingdom of Judah to Babylon. Everyone is all over the place. And the temple is burned down. 
If there was any way that this people would come back to the land and things would be rebuilt, the only conclusion is that God had done it. There was no other way for that to possibly happen than the Lord intervening and bringing the people back to life. So first and foremost, this vision was about giving hope to people in exile. That although their existence as people seemed dead as dry bones with no hope, God promised that he would bring them back. He would bring them back to the land and raise them to life. Fill them with his spirit and they would know him again in a powerful way. And this is helpful for us because we come to know God as he's been revealed to the people of God over centuries. We come to know the character of God. We come to know what other people are like by knowing how they've acted previously. And we know from the books of Ezra and Nehemiah that this situation that seemed so hopeless, God actually delivered on his promise and brought them back to the promised land. Despite the people facing the consequences of of the curse of exile, essentially a sentence of death, God promised that he would bring them back to life. And he did. And knowing that God did that then gives us hope for what he can do now and will do for us in the future. That brings me to my second thing, is that really this, this is about life for God's people forever. Now, modern interpreters of the Bible, they're very careful to point out that, you know, this passage was re- originally really about the restoration of Israel, right? That's the, the interpretation that is given. Uh, but also, many of the early church theologians, they also very clearly applied this to the resurrection and the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of the church. And so I think we need to also remember that we read the Old Testament not just simply as Old Testament saints, but as Christians who believe that Jesus died and rose again. Because when Jesus came, he changed everything. He changed everything. He, in ways that the people did not expect, he fulfilled the prophetic hopes of the Old Testament prophets. In a surprising way, Jesus embodied Israel's hope and restoration. He brought a new, unexpected exodus out of the bondage of sin and death. He breathed on his disciples and he sent the Holy Spirit, fulfilling in a surprising way what Ezekiel prophesied would happen hundreds of years before then. Jesus came to put death to death and to bring us to life. And friends, in order to get through all of your hopeless situations, in order to get through your disappointments, in order to get through the trials of this life, you need to have hope that God will one day redeem all things and resurrect us to eternal life. Amen. amen. I'm so glad I'm not preaching to a bunch of dry bones this morning. <laughs> Can we get some more amens on that? We're going to have eternal life and resurrection and redemption. Amen. amen. We need that. We need that hope. The reality is, too, that this world is kind of like a valley of dry bones. And unless Jesus comes again soon, we're going to join that valley of dry bones ourselves. We're all under, the Bible says, the curse of sin, which is death. We all stand under the judgment of God for our sins. So the question is, how can we escape the curse? How can we be free from this body of death? How can we be forgiven from the judgment of God. And Christians believe, and you know this, but you've got to have this in your heart. Christians believe that on the cross, Jesus became the curse for our sins. We believe that on that cross, he became sin itself 
And he put sin to death, he put death to death, and he rose again that you might always have the hope of eternal life beyond the grave and in the age to come. And this, the tool, this tool of death, this cross, it became a tool of eternal life. The place of judgment on the cross has now become the place of salvation. The valley of dry bones has become a living army. The valley of death has become the valley of resurrection. The curse has been lifted. Amen? So can these bones live? Literally? Yes. Yes, because Christ rose again and those who died with him will rise with him. Friends, I'm not talking about a fairy tale. This is, this is real stuff. You need this real hope deep in you. In order to have this hope in this valley of death, you must know that there is hope and purpose beyond this life. If our hope is for this life only, the Bible says, we are to be the most pitied of, of all people. There is hope beyond this life. We are, I think even non-religious people can, can admit that death just feels wrong because we're not meant to die. We're meant to live. We're meant to live forever with God. And it's only through Jesus Christ and his work for us on the cross and his resurrection that we live again. And this hope of eternal life is what empowers us and gives us life and hope now. So this is my, my final thing I want to say for this morning is that this is about life for God's people now. In summer Sunday school, our kids have been memorizing Psalm 23, and uh, it's been fun to hear Daisy recite that. I want to thank all of our teachers for helping them with that. That's been really, really precious. And that part about we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? We walk through this, this broken world, this, wor this world that is stained and cursed by sin and the fall all around us. And sometimes, we, if we're honest, we feel like the exiles did. My bones are dried up. My hope is gone. I feel cut off. I feel disconnected from God. I feel disconnected from others. But friends, no matter how bad the circumstance seems or is, we know our resurrection is coming. No matter how bad the illness seems or gets, our resurrection is coming. No matter how bad the world seems and how bad it's going down the drain, our resurrection is coming. No matter how feeble the church may seem, a resurrection is coming. No matter our unanswered prayers, a resurrection is coming. No matter your current struggles and tribulations, a resurrection is coming. No matter how broken down our bodies get, a resurrection is coming. No matter how long we or those we love stay in the grave, a resurrection is coming. A new world is on the way. New life. And I want to say with the Apostle Paul that no matter what happens, because we know this, because we have this hope, that truly all things work together for our good and the glory of God. And he says, who shall separate us from the love of God? Will afflictions or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No! In all these things, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's your hope. That's your hope no matter what happens to you, no matter what is going on in your life. Nothing separates you from the love of God. 
And because you know that, no matter what happens, God will bring a resurrection. And in that resurrection, there will be redemption, there will be healing, there will be things that we cannot even fathom or imagine now. But we have to hang on to that hope. We are not cut off from the Lord's presence. His life, His breath, His spirit is in us. And although we, as Psalm 23 says, we walk through this valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil because He is with us. His rod, His staff, they comfort us. And we believe and we testify that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can I get an amen? Amen. My dry bones will live again in Jesus Christ. And when you believe in Jesus, when you receive this good news by faith, surrender yourselves to him. The Bible says you go from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. And now you are a part of the vast army that the Lord has raised up to go bring life where there is death, to bring healing where there is sickness, to bring hope where there is despair. We are sent out into Death Valley in order to bring life. And as you do, you might wonder, gosh, this, this, the, these situations I'm encountering, can, can this be saved? Can this be redeemed? Can, can people be transformed? Can, uh, can joy come back again? Can, can these dry bones live? And we're going to work patiently and we're just going to say, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. And one day I believe the answer is yes. In the resurrection of Christ, all things will be redeemed. And the Lord wants to involve you just as he did with Ezekiel. So friend, go preach. Go prophesy. Go share the word of life. Go say to things that look dead and bring the hope of life, the hope of the gospel. And when you do, you're going to watch God do miraculous things, things that you thought seemed so hopeless, things you thought were long gone, God can bring back to life. So don't give up. Don't give up. Continue to hope and believe that our God is the God of the living. His spirit is still at work and his church is being built and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen.